poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all sorts of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets. Would you please pray as we come before the Lord. Lord, we seek to hear from you and you alone. We pray, O God, that you would open our ears, that we may hear, our eyes, that we may see. Lord, I would just pray that if in the necessity of your glory, if my weakness and my frailty is where your strength is shown, then please, Lord, slay me and show your strength boldly. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was five or six years old, I was a terror with a garden hose. I, um, I thought a garden hose was probably the coolest thing on earth. I think that... Um, Especially when you put a power nozzle on it, you know, because it was so much. Uh, there were so many things you could imagine with it, like being a fireman, or you could, you could think of it as a squirt gun. Um, I know that's politically incorrect these days, but uh, in my day, they made great guns. Um, it also was a great drill, um, and I would go through the yard, just drilling wells, just sticking. No matter where my dad would plant plants, I figured they needed a hole. And no better way to put a hole underneath his plant than with a hose. And it became a point of contention in my household, me and my hose, uh, that I got restricted from the hose. I wasn't allowed to touch the hose without supervision. Simultaneously, at the same time in my life, there was my mother, who I'm sure I got my ADD from, who figured, and you'll, you'll have to understand, um, gas in these days was like 25 cents a gallon, maybe 30 cents a gallon. And so my mother was notorious for filling up her big giant Buick Special uh, with just $2. And she would go into a gas station and say, give me a couple dollars worth of gas. Well, my dad, being sort of an engineer and a punctilious type guy and fastidious about certain things, couldn't stand the tank not being filled. And he and my mother would have discussions on, why can't you just fill the tank up? So I thought that uh, helping my mother and my father in their moment of crisis would supersede me using the garden hose. You guessed it. The garden hose became a gas filler. So I took the hose to the car and I put it in where the gas goes 
and I filled the car up for Mama. Little to my surprise, my dad came out the door. Only way I can express his, his expression is shock. Didn't know his mouth could get that wide open. The first three steps were very fast. Then all of a sudden they curiously slowed down. And he came to me and he said, son, you're just trying to help your mom, aren't you? And I said, yes. He said, well, go turn the hose off and go back inside. That was the first time I ever experienced what real mercy must look like. (laughs) Undeserved forgiveness Undeserved restoration, even even when I had violated what I was told not to do. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Our text today. I can't help thinking of this text without thinking of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. Could I parenthetically insert there and look what we did? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son and look what we did. But then look what God does. That whoever would believe in him, his death on the cross, his rising from the grave, his work of keeping the law, being transferred to us by faith, whoever would believe in that shall have eternal life based solely on mercy. No works. No political standing, no financial statements, no right denomination or wrong denomination of church, yet solely on the mercy of God do any of us come before him expressing a faith that is actually given to us to say, Lord, yes, I believe in your mercy for me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. You see, there is no redemption without mercy. And without mercy, we can't even come to the place of redemption. It's foundational to everything that is ours in Christ. Every part of our relationship with God, every part of our uh, fellowship with Jesus, every place where the Holy Spirit indwells us and gifts us and allows us to know life and to know joy is solely based on the mercy of God. It's not an issue of entitlement. 
none of us are entitled to this mercy. But solely on this benevolent, loving, ever-giving Father of ours who sits on a throne and says, you're mine. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes makes a change here. You'll remember in the first ones, it's more about condition. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Speaking of the condition of life that these people find themselves in. But here he takes a a shift and he starts talking about character. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed is your character when you are a merciful person. And the blessing is this, because the mercy that you show, as he would say in a later place, is the very same mercy that you will be given. And the mercy that you do not show will be the mercy that you do not receive. You see, God says it in, in Matthew six twelve in the Lord's uh, prayer, and he begins to teach us in the Lord's prayer, Father, forgive us our debts. Forgive us those things which we owe you. Father, forgive us those places where we have fallen short with you. Father, forgive us of those places where we have offended you. Father, forgive us those places where we have embittered you, where we have gone directly against the throne of heaven. Father, give us forgiveness in that way that we forgive others of those same offenses towards us. You see, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And we pray it in that prayer, God, forgive us. Show us mercy in the same way that we show others mercy. In fact, God, if we don't show others mercy, then don't show us any. Is another way to say it. You see, mercy is incredibly important. The whole foundation of our faith is based not only on His mercy, but how His mercy transforms us into merciful people. And without that transformation process, first epistle of John, in many ways, John would say, unless you understand that love that comes to you unconditional through mercy alone, and you begin to express that love in the same way, if that transformation does not happen, you do not know God. It's that imperative. It's that important. It's that foundational. You may say, well, I didn't receive the gift of mercy. And Jesus is trying to tell us, if we would only listen, that mercy is not a gift. Mercy is your character. It's who you are in Him. It's a non-optional part of following Christ. It's a non-optional part of bearing the fruit of Christ in our life. Notice what he says here, that mercy is both receptive and going forth. He says, blessed are the merciful. It's an adjective that's actually describing a character. It's describing what the condition of that person is, what what the nature of that person is. And it's an immediate transformation it's an adjective that's speaking in the present. But then they will receive mercy is actually a future tense verb. That as we in this present time develop and express mercy to others, there's a mercy that's greater that's waiting for you and I. And it's a verb that is definitive. It's a verb 
that says it's for sure. It's the truth. It's something that can't be changed. Blessed are the merciful now because what's in the end is nothing but mercy for you. Isn't that what you and I want? I had to reread a story that I hadn't read in a long time, but it was about a politician. And, and part of what the politician wanted was a portrait about himself. So he commissioned an artist to come in and, and do a great portrait of himself. And the artist took about three or four weeks to do this portrait, and he finally displayed it to the politician. <laughs> and the politician looked at it with great anger and said, this, this image is not me. I told you I wanted a portrait that would do me justice. And the artist looked at him and said, Sir, with a face like yours, I went for mercy. (laughs) You see what the politician had forgotten was he wasn't entitled to anything because of justice but that he better go on mercy. None of us can justify ourselves and only ourselves before the Lord. You don't want the justice of God. You want the mercy of your Father. And praise be to Christ because he received the justice of the Father on the cross for you and for me as a propitiation of our sin of our retributions, of those things which we have done against the throne of God. Because he did that and received the full justice of God upon himself, you and I are able to receive all of his mercy. Jesus moves and says in that, when you understand that, You understand that mercy is both something that you have received and is something that you also give. Because it's something that you received freely and without cost. How inappropriate that you would hold that to yourself. How unchristlike for any of us to be an unmerciful person. Flip with me, if you will, to chapter 18 of Matthew. The parable of the unforgiving servant found in verse 21. I'm not going to read it all, but just kind of want to skim through it real quick as we get an example of what this looks like. It says that Peter came to him, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother? You remember the story. Shall I forgive him seven times seven? Thinking that he was, I'm sorry, shall I forgive him seven times? thinking that um, he was a really benevolent guy and a good guy, thinking that Peter was really going over the top because the rabbinical teaching at that time was you should forgive someone three times and then that's it. Three strikes, you're out rule. So Peter's kind of going the extra step and he's saying, hey, God, hey, Jesus, how many times should I do it as a follower of you? I should do it seven times, right? Because I'm a big guy. And, of course, you know how Jesus responds. You remember? He says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, he says, you'd never stop forgiving. You continually show mercy. It's who you are. 
And then he gives the example of this servant who owed his master a lot of money. In fact, calculated out, if we were talking about talents being in silver, he owed him somewhere around $16 billion. Something that was impossible for this servant, no matter what level of servant he was, a palace servant or a, a lowly serf servant, it was the point of the, the story is that it was unpayable. He had no means, no ability to pay such a debt. He stood before his master empty-handed, empty-hearted, and the master said, I'll throw you and your wife and your children, all of you, in jail until you pay it all. And it says he fell on his face before his master and said, forgive me, please, forgive me. Give me some time. And the most incredible thing happens here. The master forgives the debt totally. Doesn't set up a payment plan. Doesn't restructure it. Just says you're clear. You're free. Now go and enjoy life. But what does this servant do? He doesn't go on to enjoy his life and freedom, but he goes to those who owe him. And he tries to extract from them the very thing that his master forgave him of and says, you owe me, pay me now. He went to everyone. Apparently there were several that owed him. They in turn go to the master and the master says, I can't believe this. It's in the Greek. Just see if you're awake now. And he goes and he goes to this unmerciful servant. And then look with me at verse 33, please. Well, let's start at 29. His fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay for you. He refused them and he put them in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported the matter to the master of what had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave your debt because you pleaded with me. Not because you had anything to offer, not because you could make a down payment, not because you had the ability to pay me back, but simply based upon your pleads, your cries out to me, I forgave you. And should you not have, here's that word, mercy on your fellow servant. You see the imperative here of Jesus is to say this, that the mercy that you have received from God is exactly the same mercy that you to express to others. Because not only that, look at the last few verses of that. Verse 34, And in his anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. Here it is. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Some of the most important verses in the scriptures. You see, what Jesus is saying is mercy is not a gift. It's a character trait. 
It's the character of Christ within you as you display it to others. And you and I can say, and rightfully so in some cases, you don't know what that person did to me. You're right, I don't. But I do know that Jesus knows what you have done to him. And he has forgiven you based solely upon his mercy. And you and I can begin to forgive people. People who have done horrific things to us. Because we know the mercy of Christ towards us. And there's a difference, please understand, between mercy and forgiveness. In fact, the word for mercy here is only used another time in the Bible. It's just these two times, blessed are the merciful, and then you should have shown your servant mercy. That's the only two times in the New Testament that particular word is used. So it's a unique kind of action that we are to do. You remember I've told you before that forgiveness is the receiving of a wound from another then taking that wound as your own without retribution or debt. Forgiveness is receiving a wound from another as your very own without seeking retribution or debt. And isn't that how Jesus forgave you and I? The wounds that were made for you and I in Isaiah, he tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. Then he received our wounds as his very own wounds died for them so that you and I might be free. And that's what forgiveness looks like. Hear closely what mercy and how it differs from that. Mercy is giving another your blessing freely, without cost, even though undeserved. Mercy is giving another your blessing freely, without cost, even though undeserved. You see, forgiveness can allow us to move into mercy. But the only way to know forgiveness is to understand mercy. The two of them are inextricably connected together. It's a chicken and an egg. They're inseparable. To be forgiven, you must forgive. To receive mercy, you must give mercy. If you've received mercy, you will give mercy. If you've been forgiven, then you will forgive. They are two sides of the same coin. They are the way that God has treated you and I. It's difficult in our day and our age and in our culture. Mercy's not much of the conversation anymore. A lot of our conversations are based upon justice. And not God's justice, but our justice. It's not fair, it's not right that a person should do this or a person should do that. Mostly it's not fair that I should be treated a certain way. But look at what I say when I'm saying that. Lord, I don't want your mercy to get in the way of my entitlements. I'm entitled not to be hurt. 
I'm entitled not to be opposed. I'm entitled to have a nice and easy life. I'm entitled to be well thought of. I'm entitled to have comfort and peace. I'm in, I, I think I'm entitled to have a clear path to my office every day. I'm entitled that others should do exactly as I think that they should do. And any time anything disrupts my entitlements, I move more to my idea of justice than God's idea of mercy. And what Jesus is saying is something revolutionary, countercultural. It is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of men. Jesus is beckoning you and I as his people to do something totally different than the rest of the world. When has he ever done anything different but to ask us to be different from the world? To not get caught up with the rest of the world, seeking our own way all of the time, seeking our own corner of life, seeking to defend ourselves. Instead, being a people that are seeking for others to know what it means to be loved. To know what it means to be forgiven. To know what it is to have mercy upon their life. Amen. How is it, O God, that in the light of you gave Jesus, we refuse to give another ourselves? What are we to do? There's a story of a woman who came to Napoleon. Her her son had disobeyed Napoleon's orders and was set up for the death penalty. And the mother comes before Napoleon and says, Emperor, please let my son go free. And Napoleon says, Madam, I'm sorry, but he has violated orders twice. He has due justice. She said, I, I know, Emperor, but I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. And Napoleon said, then mercy it shall be. Don't you see, that's exactly what God has done for you and I. But that's also exactly what God has done for others as well. How can we begin to show mercy to other people? Because when we realize other people have their own struggles, they have their own brokenness, they have things in their life that are falling apart just like yours and just like mine. They have dysfunctions. There's mental hurt. There's emotional hurt. There's an emotional pain just like ours. They have bosses that are chewing them out every week. They have deadlines that they've got to meet just like you and me. I used to think my dad was nuts. He would go out front. Whenever there was stress, sometimes he would just go out in the front yard. And we have this plant in Florida called a ligustrum. And he would take the ligustrum leaves and he'd pale it off. And he'd sit out in the front yard just tearing off parts of the leaf and throw them on the ground. I remember telling my mom, he's lost it. He's, his cheese is off his cracker. Look at him. 
until I had teenagers. And then I found myself going outside to the gustrum bush and I started tearing them off and throwing them on the ground. But there was an important lesson in that that I, that I recalled. I stopped in the middle of that and I said, oh my, I'm him. And the second part of that story was, oh my, he had the same hurts and fears and troubles that I do. And in those places where I have held against my own dad, where he might have failed me, I need to show him some mercy. All of us have people in our lives. We don't know what's going on with them. They don't need our justice. They need our compassion and our mercy. Why would we do that? So that they might know Jesus. What are we to do? How are we to respond to this? Let me, let me give you three things very quickly. One is, I would ask that you would fall before your Father in heaven on your knees and ask Him, request from Him, Lord, where are those places where I've thought I'm entitled? Where are my places of entitlement? Then help me to repent. In the places where I felt like I'm entitled to everything being my way and I have embittered myself towards others, let me see that clearly so that I might repent and show those people a particular mercy. Second thing is this. Begin to journal a forgiveness page. Begin to journal a forgiveness page. Begin to write, Lord, I praise you for forgiving me of blank. If you can't find blanks to fill the day, you've got some serious issues. You have an unreal view of yourself. You can start with this one. Lord, forgive me in that place today where I did not love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my strength. You remember Martin Luther said, if that's the greatest commandment that Jesus gave, then the greatest sin must be not to do that. Maybe it's you haven't honored your father and your mother, or maybe there's someone you're holding hatred towards. But journal that out and then begin to praise God for forgiveness. Then lastly this morning, lose your entitlement by seeing the hurt in others as you see your own. Lose the entitlement that you have by seeing the hurt in others as you see your own. You see your own hurt. There's places I've been hurt. You probably don't think pastors get hurt. We do. Amen, Phil? We hear things. You don't think we do, but we do. Eventually, the pastors hear everything. Yeah. And they hurt. And the temptation is to get bitter. The temptation is to get angry. The temptation is to feel a sense of entitlement. But then you remember 
those are hurting people too. They may be speaking out of their own hurt and their own wounds. My role is not to bring them justice, but to bring them the mercy of Christ so that they may know Jesus. In the same way that we cry out to the Lord, a child cries out to his parent, who is a sick child cries out to his parent for healing. Let us bow our heads and begin to pray. Lord, come and heal us and show us your mercy. Would you please pray with me?